Hello, and thank you for listening to the MicroBinFi podcast. Here, we will be discussing topics in microbial bioinformatics. We hope that we can give you some insights, tips, and tricks along the way. There is so much information we all know from working in the field, but nobody writes it down. There is no manual, and it's assumed you'll pick it up. We hope to fill in a few of these gaps. My co-hosts are Dr. Nabil Ali Khan and Dr. Andrew Page. I am Dr. Lee Katz. Both Andrew and Nabil work in the Quadrum Institute in Norwich, UK, where they work on microbes in food and the impact on human health. I work at Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and am an adjunct member at the University of Georgia in the US. Hi, I am Lee Katz, and welcome to the MicroBinFi podcast. Andrew and I are here to talk with Dr. Finn McGuire. Nabil is on holiday at the moment. Finn is a bioinformatics researcher in the computer science department at Dalhousie University. Some of his activities include working with IRDA and the AMR card database. Finn also works with nonprofits and social scientists to try to help them apply data analysis methods in their work. Today, we'll dive into how fast you can go from training to getting an impactful research publication. Andrew, so how fast is it to get an impactful research publication on something you just learned how to do? Um, approximately four and a half days, <laughs> I, I jest. Uh, so this stems from, I had a visitor one time, he turned up to learn bioinformatics, did no background in it, and they expected to learn all of bioinformatics and get like their nature paper in the space of a week, four and a half days to be exact. Of course, that's not really realistic. It takes slightly longer than that to become trained in the area. You want to get a nature paper on bioinformatics and you only have a week. Well, what do you do? One of the things that I've found teaching at Dalhousie a bit is we do a lot of graduate courses that are cross-point CS and life sciences. And it's a bit of a nightmare trying to teach to both halves of the class at the same time, because one is always bored and getting trivial material. Yeah, that is always a problem, you know, when you get a course and someone is at the back, you know, on the Linux command line, you're just bashing away, they, they can do everything in two seconds. And then you have other people who can barely know where their tab key is. And when you say pipe, they look at you blankly and they can't understand, you know, why you need a space here or just the kind of basic mechanics of uh, commands and that kind of thing. I was going to say the two mental models that I find tend to be missing the most is file system, like just not having any real understanding of that. And then also understanding functions. Like I'm always amazed that people lack those two mental models because they're so axiomatic for us when we're teaching. But if you think back to when you learned how to program and learned uh, the command line, I know we spent probably the first six months just doing like if statements and for loops. When I did my undergrad in computer science, like they took us through things very, very, very slowly and kept, you know, repeating it over and over again. And he did like 20 different ways to use a for loop. Eventually that kind of sunk in. I think when people do say a one week training course, they're taking in so much information that they can't realistically be an expert at the end of that week. All you can really do is give them a flavor of this is what you could do if you really wanted to go away and learn it. Which is why I think the core part of those courses is the teaching to help themselves kind of thing. It's Absolutely, yeah. You're giving them the terms, you're giving them how to look up the man, the man pages or the help flags, read the documentation. Because if you don't manage that, then there is relatively limited long-term retention for those intensive courses. So I guess it's difficult, right? You get like, say, a clinician who isn't a biologist and isn't a computer scientist, and they land and they expect to take in as much as possible. And, you know, usually very intelligent people. 
and they want to know everything as quick as possible with the minimum of effort. But yet they want to do things that are really advanced and maybe a PhD level or beyond. And how do we then go about training that untrained monkey to work as quickly as possible with these really advanced PhD level topics, but without any of the foundations behind it? They haven't got the years of learning how to program or the theoretical background and maybe in mathematics or the theoretical background in obscure piece of biology or sequencing molecular biology that kind of thing so where do we start are you are you thinking of an of an experience where you trained a clinician to learn the command line and if so how long did it take to train that clinician i've had varying experiences of it so the welcome trust advanced courses in hinkston will take in a wide variety of people and i've helped with those in in years gone by you can have people who are clinicians or who basically know nothing about bioinformatics or genomics. And then mixed in at those, you can have people who are vastly further along. And then it's hard because you've only got a week and you have to go from like day one is introduction to the command line. You know, that's like an hour or two. And then it's introduction to like a few visual tools like Artemis, that kind of thing. Then it's like slap bang into things like the inner workings of mappers and assemblers and RNA-seq and in-depth sequencing you know it gets a bit crazy all the content is there and they give you like a, a big folder to take away home and they give you a virtual machine and uh and things to work on but at the same time at the end of that you're not an expert in bioinformatics i'm sure some people expect to be but really that takes years that's you know five ten years of work of a university education full-time to get to that level i think not not a week. Uh, Finn, do you um, experience teaching um, clinicians or something similar? And, and how long did it take you? I've not taught that many clinicians. I was on a very interesting course a couple of years ago, which was one of those domain-focused courses. So it was about antibiotic, it was the international course on antibiotic resistance. So it was a mix of science of antibiotic resistance, etc., different drug classes, different uh, mechanisms, but then also like the bioinformatics, the analysis, here are the databases, yada, yada, yada. And that was an interesting course because it was a like a mix between there were some there was a few bioinformaticians there there was a few kind of wet lab scientists there was a whole bunch of clinicians there was pharmacists and there was industry like pharmaceutical people i find with that with that breadth being the domain first approach and like okay here's the here's what how this works and this is the way that this bit is done was great and it worked quite well in that setting whereas if we'd gone for like an algorithms approach something like that where there's the unbalance in like different backgrounds was so much greater it was so much less of a level playing field you were going to end up in a lot of harm a lot of like chaos by like you know the, the kid the kid at the back who you know uh, or did a physics phd and is running on k shell or something is like he's fine he's got it they're, they're doing it okay but then you know got someone else that's uh, internal medicine and not really done any much in computational research i do think the especially from the life sciences side um and like there is that push towards it is the kind of integration of computational methods into curricula so they are getting that like four-year undergrad or three-year undergrad where they're actually being exposed consistently bit by bit these are these tools here's how you look up help here's like one language or two languages that you kind of keep encountering do you really need to know all of this stuff do you need to know how to program to do bioinformatics analysis because i know recently We've set up Galaxy, which is like a website and you point and click and make workflows and can run analysis. And it's working quite well for people with no bioinformatics background at all. And so we have, um, we have some more wet lab people who are able to just go and do some assemblies. They're able to do some analysis, they're able to blast stuff and they can do 
quite a lot without any of the underlying knowledge of how an assembler works or how Blast works or what options you need to use. They just kind of drop it in and magically a result comes out and they know what the result is. And it's more about the data science analysis then rather than this is the infrastructure and how it works. Yeah, I think one of the issues there is it's hugely dependent on which area of bioinformatics they're doing the risk of bacteria. It's like, it's a very well-tooled area compared to a lot of other areas. It's very like, you know, you can run the assembler even on your laptop. It's not too bad. Like there's pretty well-defined workflows and protocols and tooling for that galaxy. You've, you've already got workflows in there that'll do the analysis that you pretty much want to do. Whereas like, so my PhD was in sort of the eukaryote omics world, microbial eukaryote world. Yeah, and it's as, as, as I imagine everyone in the room has experienced at some point, it's just like the state of the tooling is just completely different. Everything is an edge case. You need a much bigger system to do even just the basic assembly. You're doing so many tweaks and so many changes because you're in more uncharted territory than doing the 10,000th E. coli assembly. That is quite true because I remember uh, groups in Sanger, they were doing like 50 eukaryotic worms and then another group is doing like 20,000 bacteria and trivial to get assemblies and annotated assemblies at the other end for bacteria. But then the eukaryotes, it was just painful. Each one was like pulling teeth. And then the annotation was even worse because there's so much variation there. And then they, you know, there's nothing maybe closely related to port the annotation over from. So it's like you're going way, way back to try and figure out what the hell is going on. Yeah, just annotation and ORF prediction. Like, requires yeah. custom trained models generally. What models? Well, yeah, exactly. So you're building <laughs> off other models, but like compared to, you know, let's just run uh, Prodigal and, or Proca or just like, great, that'll do. Absolutely, yeah. And then there, there's so much variation in life and in biology. So in, in eukaryotes, I remember someone told me sometimes there's two copies of the chromosome and then sometimes there's three. It depends on the life cycle stage. It's like, what? Oh, That's no, just so, crazy. So my PhD was looking at Paramecium Bursaria. Um, looking at endosymbioses in that. So that's two nuclei. as a somatic and a germline nuclei in one cell. It has a whole bunch of green algal endosymbionts, and then it's a serial phagotroph, so it's riddled with bacterial DNA. And then you have a giant virus that hangs about on the outside of it. Cool. So, and then I was trying to do transcriptomics of single, single cell transcriptomics of that system to try and look at the transcriptome of that endosymbiosis. Sounds like, like you got one of the hardest projects you could possibly think up. We submit a paper for it now, only five, five years afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> finished Perfect after course. all the PhD continued up uh, the empirical work on that yeah that was uh we, we bit off a bit more than we could chew on that one I think in retrospect but which area you're in is hugely dependent so if you're teaching someone to do you know eukaryote bioinformatics then your your benefit of learning something like galaxy is probably going to work against you because the abstraction in something like galaxy means you it's much harder to go like okay I know how to run this in galaxy okay now I need to go and tweak this this doesn't quite make sense or this this had a weird error because there was some random string you know there's something weird came through the sequencer and it just messed up the way this worked there's a whole bunch of weird characters came in because this has weird different bases or weird modifications um, or you need to use a thousand CPUs to go and analyze the data yeah, exactly. Then, then no one's going to let you have a Galaxy interface to their entire HPC cluster, generally. So for those people that are trying to do bioinformatics in five days, it's like more it's like, okay, here is one assembler. You're going to work on this one assembler and you're going to like, you better do a deep dive on how exact, how all, how all these parts work and how these tweaks make a difference and how the command line works and how the file systems work. That's always been my biggest issue with Galaxy, acknowledging the bias that I'm very much on the side of 
me and Command Line happy, is trying to run stuff on it, I find it very like, okay, how do I actually get this to connect properly? Okay, oh, I've used the wrong, this file has the wrong extension. Okay, it's still a fast queue, but someone didn't encode .fq for this workflow. It's, and it's .fastq in my actual folder. Although I've come from uh, the command line side and then the manual hacking of command lines and bash and then, you know, really nice dodgy Perl. And now I've settled on Galaxy and it's just like, oh, wow, this is just so easy for a lot of straightforward stuff. And I've done Nextflow. So as someone who would have to teach people, mm -hmm. it solves a lot of problems. Yeah, you know, I don't have to teach them. But actually what I've found really good is um, uh, what a really good training course we did was in the Gambia where we use virtual machines. We spun them up on MRC Climb, which is like a, a, an open stack cloud system. And so then every student had their own uh, VM that was kind of pre-configured with standard stuff like Conda and a few assemblers, whatever. And then we left people to just go and work through like some basic data sets. It seemed to work quite well. Maybe that's the future, you know? April Wright, who's at, uh, so, so she's at a primarily undergrad institution in, uh, Car in Louisiana, I think Southeastern Louisiana University, wrote a really nice article on Faculty 1000 Research about sort of teaching computing in biology classrooms and all these different sort of pros and cons of these different kind of ways of doing it, like having your cloud, having them install things on their own computer, which we have probably all experienced the chaos that, that can cause. And it's just a nice summary of all, and it ties into a lot of the literature about barriers to teaching, like what people actually want to learn, how it differs in undergrad, postgrad, etc. might be of interest to people. I think what the overhead of some of those systems though, like okay, so Galaxy does take require effort to learn how to use. And obviously, you know, no, it that. doesn't. Galaxy is easy. It does take some effort though, and to use, especially to use it well. And then I'm like in the whole like, are you? Depending on what someone's doing, is them investing that effort, would it be better placed in throwing them on the command line? I find people get scared, right? They yeah. get scared off when they see just this cursor. They don't know what to type. There's no, they can't just kind of right click and select from menus or whatever. It's like literally a cursor and they have to type in stuff that they're probably getting uh, drip fed. Hmm. Often people will just blindly copy and paste or blindly type stuff in without really understanding what they're doing. And they don't understand like a dash, you know, is, is important. It's not like something you copy and paste from a Word document where it can be a different character. They don't understand any of this kind of stuff. Space. And there's so Space many concepts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so many concepts yeah. they have to take in, which is really, really basic stuff to make it work. It scares a lot of people. We talked about like really complicated biology projects with, with multiple, with, with more than diploidy or mm. more nuclei. <laughs> but if you had like a project that kind of fit in the bounds of, of more normalcy, however you want to define mm. that, and you had like a structure like Galaxy, I feel like that simplifies things at least. Yeah. So you could get to that nature paper from knowing nothing a lot faster. Maybe still not four and a half days, but maybe faster if you had sort of a more normal project and you had a structure like Galaxy or, or similar, right? I'd agree with that, definitely. I think the, the key issue is what is the end goal of that learner, beyond, especially beyond your nature paper in the week? Like, are they going to be, are they interested? Like, okay, we did this, ran all the things you worked for. And I thought, you know, uh, I didn't really like the way that the assembler worked for that bit of the genome. Like, it, it was terrible for the mobile genetic elements in plasma. I'm going to work on this a bit more. I want, to, I want to change the way this bit works. Then they have to move on to command line. I'm like, entirely. And they have to move into that space. So it's a bit like, yeah, they got the paper and they kind of got a very high level overview of how this process works and where it doesn't work. But would they be better just going to the command line a bit and taking that kind of, that hit to the initial kind of hit cost, that initial investment in time and effort? So I think people 
don't really care about the mechanics. They care about the other end, right? They want the data and the actual interesting results from the data. Often a PhD student be just handed, here's a load of samples or here's a load of sequencing data. This is the interesting question. Go and figure out what's going on there. They don't care. They have to sort their BAM file and then index it or how to do that or in the most efficient manner. They just want to know where are the SNPs? How does a tree look? They don't really care how to make the tree and what can they figure out uh, in terms of how it relates to metadata and all the interesting results that they need for the paper and make the pretty figures. So actually maybe we should be teaching them more how to make the pretty pictures in R rather than teaching them the mechanics of stringing things together to do basic stuff people have done a million times before. I'm always, especially with them, as we've discussed from our biases of being command line junkies, like I'm always surprised at how the relative use of things like uh, cards, RGI web interface and ResFinder interface versus the command line tools. It's a crazy amount of their used. So yeah, those EVGs interfaces are used heavily. I think I still have the concern of like, the, you don't end up in the extreme examples of people who, you know, use blast, just throw something in blast and claim a virus has been manufactured or RT-PCR doesn't work because there's a primer that matches humans. Just for random examples recently. Just, just having everything abstracted away, you can't even begin to ask those questions. Even the ones that care about, okay, how does this, the one person that room that cares about what Samtil Source is actually doing. They can't even access some of those flags, especially in some workflows. True, because you don't need to worry about them. In Galaxy, they magically get sorted and you magically get an index. I, I will say like one of the best trainings that I've witnessed was back in, I think 2010 or maybe 2011, I believe. From Denmark, David Ustry came with his researcher, Shinny, to CDC and they taught a bunch of people who have never seen the command line how to run the command line on some very basic commands and use their package. It was called CMG BioTools, I believe. And they they already made a VM. You just run this command, this command, this command. They just they just straight up told you exactly what to do. And you got publication ready figures. And I thought that was mm. just visionary. I think the command line for for people in the room who just knew nothing was still a little hard, but they, they made it work. And um, I think if they continued it, like there would be some kind of interface for it and they would definitely abstract away the things. Like I know that there's the Canadian bioinformatic workshops. Um, there was a, I think she works for Tableau now, but there was a, a Anna Crisson out of UB, I think UBC, did a basically a PhD on visualization of like analyses. And like she had a whole like session at one of the previous I think, metagenomics Canadian bioinformatics workshop. And that was really well received because yeah, for the ones that don't care about, you know, the text on the command line, having the visualization actually was kind of, was, and how do I tweak this was the, the kind of feeling the success of the process and engaging. Did she do her PhD with uh, Jen Gerdy? I think she did. Yeah. And yeah, because I remember she got uh, like an, an absolutely fantastic talk. It was on something crazy like, um, was that ASMNGS or something? Yeah, like a, yeah. a paper reporting tool for uh, clinicians, you know, reporting back AMR. Mm. And it was all about, you know, how do you make it so you can get across all the detailed information in a reasonable, concise manner to clinicians. And it was just a fantastic talk on based on usability design. An evaluation of whole genome sequencing clinical report for reference microbiology labs. There you go. <laughs> and Pure J. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, and I mean, NGS, ASMNGS 2017, she presented that. So, yeah. yeah, I was there. As was I. Um, yeah. So I, I agree with you. So like 
she has this amazing visualization thesis and I've, if I've oversimplified it, I'm sorry if I did, but I think that it, it definitely streamlines with your earlier point, Andrew, that, that people just want to know how to run the thing and get the results. And Anna's work is, is kind of crucial at that. Like, how do you get the results? How do you visualize it? And, and it would be, it would be great to focus training on getting those results out. So I think the most full workshops I've been engaged in are not actually microbial bioinformatics focused. There are, there are these kind of research capacity development workshops called um, the initiative called MicroResearch. So the, the idea of these microresearch courses essentially is there's a small amount of seed funding and you take a whole bunch of people who have no research experience whatsoever, usually from like a mix of healthcare associated or whatever, and basically train them to develop a, like, a small project proposal and then do all the process of doing that piece of research. And it's been absurdly successful. Something like 70% of people that do, that do the course are still in research five years later. Most groups end up with a PubMed publication out of it. And then there's massive amounts of knowledge translation done with it. Like it works incredibly well. And most of the course is designed around, like you're paired with a mentor, a research mentor afterwards and through the course. But most of it is designed to give you the terminology, give you the language, give you the resources to know how to ask how to do something. Because, you know, you know we're, not tr we're not teaching all of qualitative and quantitative stats and how to yeah. do research ethics and how to do knowledge translation in a two-week course and writing and developing a whole research proposal and doing the grant review, et cetera. Like that's not being done in that time frame. but here's basically, here's all the terms. Here is how to find more information about this. Here is how to, what you would ask to do this. Here's what you would say, especially with the medic things, like here are the terms you would use to speak to the statistician to do that kind of analysis. How much pre-learning do you think someone should have before they come to you and ask, can I go on your course? I would always expect people maybe to, if they're interested as an area, maybe go and read a book on the basics of mathematics, biology, computer science, or whatever, if they want to do more advanced stuff, rather than having to be, you know, having them sit there and you have to spoon feed them. I think um, that having a prerequisites is a really tough thing to solve, but it is necessary. You have to be able to say, because you don't come into a course knowing everything on one extreme, and you don't come into a course knowing nothing. You're not like a, a newborn baby. So you have to define what a person has to know, like, and, and be reasonable. You can't say, like, you need to know the English language. I think some of it's just assumed. I find some people just think bioinformatics is easy. It's clicking a few buttons and you get some results. The hard part is working in a lab, collecting the samples is not the, the magic that happens with uh, sequencing and uh, bioinformatics. It's just, oh, ma make me a figure there, make me a, a tree and, you know, tell me the magical result that'll get me my nature paper. By, by teaching the galaxy workflow approach or like these kind of pre-baked solutions, do we not encourage that thinking? You would hope, but often people can't even get that far, you know, because they don't have the prerequisite knowledge of how different things work or how sequencing works or whatever. A lot of people just get um, sequencing and they're blind to what it actually means or how, how it was created. I think it's fine. I think that we have matured over the years, even before I got into this career. Like we don't have to, we don't have to know Linux administration anymore. That's okay that we've abstracted some stuff away. Well, if you're using Sorry. VMs and Docker, you really do. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Bad example. Maybe there's some, maybe there's something though that we've matured away. Like you don't need to know everything anymore. If the postdoc orders the new blade cluster to arrive when he's away teaching a course and you're the only one with any computational skills you end up having to go to the data center and set it up <laughs> but i mean like if if somebody is learning galaxy or you know since that and i think that's a good example since finn's here and he does iridus stuff um like just somebody from canada who's just learning how to do stuff and they they're learning galaxy they don't need to know how to do system administration they just need to know how to do the interface 
get their results get the data in the right in on the right place which is why like so much of it is devoted to uploaders and ways of uploading your data um and as i say i think that works really well when most of the users of something like irida are doing like very standardized surveillance type analyses because that's the same the problem is i think that doesn't necessarily is that useful for kind of research that goes off that beaten track a bit more and that's where we kind of go back to the original point of like is that is that almost not wasted effort but misplaced effort that would have been better placed for the person wanting to do that kind of stuff in going into the guts of the tools going with less abstraction well i know when i was building pipelines for different pathogen groups i put in place automated systems to go and map everything say to a reference or assemble everything automatically and annotate if you can and actually you can get quite far down the line you can produce a lot of results very quickly automatically without having to do too much work on the back end and then that means that the the researchers can then just go with that one step further along they don't have to worry about the ins and outs of mappers because the data is already mapped you know it's great if they do but if they don't then that's fine as well do you think that level of abstraction leads to less uh credible like less uh, scrutiny of the results it does but at the same time you don't have people making stupid basic mistakes because they don't know the insider knowledge that says okay sometimes if you paired end reads maybe they overlap and maybe people didn't know that um or maybe i don't know spades when it has say overlapping reads you have to treat them slightly differently to if they're not overlapping or you know all these tiny little things you generally think about or read trimming or trimming adapters this important stuff that maybe you'd, if you're in the field for a few years you'll just have picked up and maybe it's not even written down but you know it anyway even the more basic of like why doesn't map work if i give it a bunch of genomes it's a multiple sequence aligner yeah and why is it taking so well, long is that a different problem <laughs> yeah <laughs> are there some basic things that that you would teach somebody like typing in dash help just some like some basics for every single command they would get oh, yeah except on the command line that doesn't always work if you do dash h some commands will you know that's an actual uh, option in a command so it's <laughs> not universal and the same with dash dash help you know that's not a universal either so so we get the help automatically when no input's given right i know it doesn't do anything destructive i think that's one of the things i try and do the most when i'm teaching especially doing practicals is not giving the answer when the question is asked they're being like okay here's how we would look that up you know, here is the help here is the help command okay look what that option does okay the default is that if it says the default but or whatever or, you know this is the wrong way around because we can see in the help messages i think without that is a really key bit of teaching it's quite hard to do via something like galaxy i guess when you are teaching that kind of command line stuff it can be difficult because often the examples you you want to give people a really complicated example but at the same time, you need to run, have it run within a reasonable amount of time. You can't just say, okay, go and assemble your plasmodium falciparum and then expect them to get an answer in five minutes, you know? And at the same time, you don't want them to do full bacterial assemblies. It might just be you want to focus on, say, I don't know, assemble a plasmid. You know, that might run in five, ten minutes or seconds, hopefully. But then you don't get as much biological insight out of that. So there's this kind of balance. And I've seen it done right, well, I've seen it on both ways, you know, too simple, too complicated and both of them are a disaster. So we could, there's some kind of intermediate in there that works quite well, but I don't know what it is. But the problem is 
I don't think that intermediate is the same for all people in the class. True. And that's one of the problems. And the same with the same with the whole level of abstraction issue. What is the appropriate level of abstraction? It's going to be different for different people in the class depending on their learning objectives and their background. The the simple example, see an example of it, try to run it yourself, then do like basically create a new one. Like that classic sort of repeated workflow of like you know lots of learning to program literature and guidelines, et cetera, like kind of follow that model heavily. If they're a PhD student with their own data and they basically have come to your workshop or your training course because they have their whole bunch of bacterial reads and they want to do something with them, um, great, because they have an easy, complex example that they can kind of build in themselves, like for their create. Whereas if they're just like learning, they're, you know, they're an undergrad or a master's student who's kind of learning it because they you know this bioinformatics stuff might be useful in the future they hear it's a up-and-coming field with podcasts that are coming out all the time they don't have that like they're, they're they're creating an example it's very arbitrary they don't have like a an obvious connection to that more complex step finding that intermediate is yeah you kind of need to need to know the class need to know the the people who you're training i was contemplating that also because i we brought this up in the in, earlier in the conversation that there is a common denominator between everyone coming in the class with a bunch of different backgrounds. And I was contemplating that also because in grad school for a bioinformatics graduate program, you have people coming in f- with a biology degree or a computer science degree, or there are, there are some other ones that are, that are not as prevalent, like, like a statistics background or something. And I think it is a real challenge with the professors and everybody to come with common ground. And I, I mean, I'm thinking back to when I first entered the program. It's been a long time. It was an experience because people from, with computer science backgrounds excelled super quickly at the beginning of the program. It was almost demoralizing from my point of view because I was coming in with a biology background. But after the first few semesters, it was very apparent that, the, that even though they had the methodology down, they didn't have like the purpose yet. And that's where the biology came in, that the, the destination of that journey. And I think the biology is, is really hard to catch up on because it's a bunch of memorization, honestly. That was a very long answer to say that the common denominator for every single training class, graduate school is a very difficult and probably unsolved challenge. I agree entirely, but coming from the bias of I self-taught the CS, the online courses, the workshops, etc. Enough that I, I can somehow fill a CS department now. I find the life sciences is just that big blob that needs a bit more of a pedagogical guide through it. Learning all the exceptions to all the rules. Learning actually, there's a second strand. You wrote a great algorithm, but you ignored half the half the data. Like. We've seen that in tools before, in like quite good tools. The thing I've been very surprised at though, and why I'm kind of, I'm very hesitant on the abstraction is actually some of the CS students, and I, you know, moving to CS department, I'll be in the promised land. I'll be able to do all this on the command line effortlessly. They won't have to think about it. It's actually with a lot of the way the CS teaching is happening with, you know, these online platforms or these like very kind of contrived Java, you know, Java examples, for example, if they're still doing that, is I've been surprised at how poor a lot of CS students have been at just command line file mugging and doing that piping a file to like copying a file, moving it around like that kind of messy, like getting the data into the program when they haven't had a clean example of doing it. I think that's because a lot of CS isn't the, the getting your hands dirty. It is like writing code, uh, after you've done a bit of theory. So it's all about, I say, I learned Java, unfortunately, 
And that was all about building objects and levels of abstraction and interfaces and all of this kind of jazz. But there's very little on actual command line. How do you string these programs together? It was just, this is the code, this is the theory, you know, heavy theory, theory, theory. I presume so that you can move forward and then you can you forever know the theory of computer science. So everything is easy. Everything is a network. Everything is a graph. That's what I reduce every problem to anyway. So maybe it did work. There is a lot of bad CS teaching out there, like substantially. And I know a lot of people failed uh, computer science when I did it as an undergrad. Like the attrition rate was enormous. But I think a lot of people only went into it. I started in 99 because that was around the first dot-com uh, boom. And everyone thought, oh, yeah, this is a great area to get into. You'll make a fortune, be a millionaire when you're 25. And then, of course, people realize, actually, this is kind of hard. And, uh, you know, like 40% dropped out in the first year. And now we just do the same thing with deep learning. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is, well, I mean, that's another interesting example of what is the right level of abstraction. Because you can do a deep learning boot camp. You can teach them to run a convnet on some data pretty damn quickly. But they have no idea what they're doing necessarily. Well, when I um, interview people and I mention machine learning, because every, every CV these days mentions machine learning. And so I usually get them to draw out what a neural network is. And I say, okay, you know, a three-layer neural network. Could you draw, please? And half the people, they don't understand the absolute basics. The other half, you know, when, once it starts even drawing it, it's like, grand, yeah, you're fine. You actually know what's going on. I haven't, I haven't encountered that fizz buzz of machine learning. I tend to go with how logistic, how does it explain logistic regression? Very even simple. Thanks for joining us, Finn. I think we made it through this topic unscathed. I think that you all have learned a bit about training the common denominator between all students' backgrounds, the level of abstraction, and that you will not go from zero to nature in one week. We seem to have no agreement on a lot of things, but maybe that's a good thing that we discuss several angles anyway. Thank you all so much for listening to us at home. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and like us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or the platform of your choice. And if you don't like this podcast, please don't do anything. This podcast was recorded by the Microbial Bioinformatics Group and edited by Nick Waters. The opinions expressed here are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of CDC or the Quadrant Institute.